0: Everybody, to here. if you're an advisor looking for that one conference that gives you inspiration, connection, and proven best practices to grow your firm, Excel is the place. And it's happening September 13th to 15th in Las Vegas at the beautiful Cosmopolitan Hotel. I attended last year's event and cannot wait to be there again this year. The lineup is jaw-dropping. So head on over to Excel Conference, that's Excel with two L's, check it out, and use my discount code POWELL2 to receive $200 off the price of your ticket. See
1: you there. On this week's episode of In The Suite with Tina Powell. So I said, you know, I feel really powerless in this situation and I don't ever want to feel like this again. I want to be in charge of my own destiny. I want to be the one calling shots. I think what I'm trying to achieve with my clients is that they find whatever that is that lights them up and then we make sure that they're their money and their investments are working in service of that goal. I wanted to find something that that really allowed me to sort of take multiple skills that I have like I was using one set of skills without using the skills that I have that allow me to work well with people, coach them and move them forward all those things like I just wasn't using that part of my skill set. I ended up deciding financial planning was was sort of the perfect marriage of those different skills that I had.
0: Hi, this is Tina Powell, host of In The Suite, where I sit down with top women leaders and some of the biggest names in the financial services and the wealth management industry. Together, we'll discover some of their best secrets and top strategies to grow great business, build a strong brand, and lead teams in the 21st century. I hope you'll enjoy hearing their amazing personal stories of triumph, trepidation, and transformation in hopes of becoming better leaders ourselves. The time for you to lead is now, and you're in the suite. Joining us today in the suite is Danica Waddell. Danica is the president and founder of Xena Financial Planning, a fee-only financial planning firm working with women who are in the tech industry and receive equity compensation, typically in the early to mid-career stages. In 2020, Danica felt called to make a bold move. She founded Xena Financial Planning, a fiduciary financial planning firm in Seattle, Washington, focused on helping women to take control over their financial lives. Specifically, Danica works with women and their partners in the early to middle stages of their career, helping them to navigate whatever life delivers. And she does it through communication, conversations, and collaboration. Xena Financial Planning welcomes clients of all backgrounds and aims to make financial planning accessible to groups of people who have typically been underserved by the financial planning profession. Danica is also a strong advocate of the LGBTQ community and works with clients of any gender identity or sexual orientation. Within the industry, she's always seeking ways to amplify the voices of women and people of color. In fact, one of the many gifts that you'll discover about Danika Waddell in this episode are that building relationships matter to Danica. Danika's relationships stem from her work in the financial planning process, and she strives to both educate and empower, as well as to deliver and develop a collaborative relationship. In this episode, we discuss community conversation and the art of those connections, as well as aligning values and more. In her view, financial planning is a highly dynamic process with many moving pieces that are constantly in flux. She's passionate about helping clients create their most fulfilling lives, supported by a strong financial foundation here in The Suite. Wow. Danica Waddell, take a seat in the suite. Our third season here. I'm so, so excited that I'm getting the
1: chance to talk to you today. It's great to see you. How are you doing today? (sighs) Thanks, Tina. That is quite a welcome. I'm really excited to talk with you and I'm doing great. Yeah, the sun is out in Seattle, which is quite rare at this time of year. So I'm feeling great. Fantastic Mm
0: -hmm. to see you. We're going to have a great discussion here in the suite. You've been somebody that I've wanted to talk to for ages now. We've, of course, been connected on social media. I've been Mm -hmm. following your work and congratulations to all your success. I'm curious. So I'm asking the question right from the get. Any goals for 2022? Mm -hmm. You've had a a successful launch Mm -hmm. of Xena Financial Planning since I think it was 2020? Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Any
1: exciting goals for this year? Yeah, I do have goals. Our firm did a our first strategic planning day, which was amazing, which is just really inspirational. And my coworker, Mariana, said at the end of it, she said, I think your word for 2022 is build. And I was like, yes, that is the word. So as you alluded to, I launched my firm in the summer of 2020. It's been amazing. It's been a really successful first year and a half and has grown way faster than anything I ever would have expected. But now it's really about sort of building a really good foundation so that we can scale. So that's a big part of what I'm focused on in 2022. And then, I mean, we have a lot of specific, very specific firm goals and things like that in terms of revenue and clients. But I'd say the other thing that is really significant for me is that I just started a master's degree and that's really just about my personal growth. So I started a master's in advanced financial planning. I haven't been to school since 1998 when I graduated from undergrad. So, and it's been amazing, I'm loving it. So I'm just really excited to sort of take my own personal development to another level. Congratulations on all
0: of that. That's Mm -hmm. so super exciting. I can identify with you there doing the master's later after having that hiatus between undergrad mm-hmm. and grad. When my mm-hmm. kids were in high school, I started back to get my master's. It took me five years. And I got to tell you that it was well worth amazing. every bit of effort. Yeah. And so many of my mommy friends, we were like, oh, so are you doing this online. And it was like, actually, no, I'm going to go now. This was before mm-hmm. COVID. <laughs> and I was like, no, actually I'm going into New York city. And, mm-hmm. and so I, and I loved it. What an amazing experience. So I really credit you with such a bold decision and talking about mm-hmm. bold decisions, right. Is that here you are, you launch Xena financial planning mm-hmm. in 2020 in the throes of, of the pandemic. And it's one of the modern themes here that we have. Yeah. Anika in the suite. And that is, it's bold decisions. It's empowering women to make mm-hmm. bold decisions in their life. And you made one.
1: Yeah. How did you come to that realization? That's not an easy thing to do. Mm. It was not easy. It was terrifying. I was absolutely terrified when I went through that process. And so for anybody that's considering it and thinks they're too scared, like that's that's part of it. Yeah. Um but I think for me, I was I was in a role in a firm that I really liked actually. I was very content. We did good work. It was just a really easy comfortable position that I was in until it was not comfortable. So something happened and it was no longer such a great situation for me. And I really wrestled with it. It was very traumatic at the time and it went on for about three months. And I was just kind of like, what, what's my next step here? Like, do I go find a job at another firm? Do I start my own thing? Which again, sounded terrifying. And I couldn't really figure out another way to go about it. I just thought like, I looked at these other firms and I was like, oh, ah that's not really what I want. No, they're not really doing what I want. And I just, I think part of my realization with the process that happened at my prior firm was I I decided I didn't want to be anybody's employee anymore. And so I said, you know, I feel really powerless in this situation. and I don't ever want to feel like this again. I want to be in charge of my own destiny. I want to be the one calling shots. And so that was, that realization was really what propelled me to say like, okay, I got to do my own thing cuz I I cannot be an employee anymore. But it was very scary. But once I sort of made that mental shift and and said, okay, I'm not going to be an employee. I've got to do my own do it my own way. Once I I sort of had that epiphany or whatever, I was just so motivated. I just was off and running. It was like you could not slow me down. My husband was like, "Don't you think you should maybe write a business plan and like, think this through. And I was like, no, I'm like incorporating, uh, you know, I'll get to that stuff later. (laughs) But I was just, I was on a train and there was no stopping me at that point. That's fantastic. I think thinking about
0: doing the bold thing is harder than actually doing the bold thing itself. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. You have to be able to see it in order to be it. And also you have a lot of support. So I was on your website, right? You have a lot of affiliations. Did Mm. those affiliations help to inform your decision about you going on your own and being an independent
1: financial advisor? Absolutely, yeah. I I don't know if I could have done it without organizations like XYPN and NAPFA and other other communities that I was part of that just allowed me to see, oh, that person did this. They're not any different than me. Like I I can, I can do that. And, you know, a lot of those structures weren't in place 10 years ago. So I know people that started their own firms 10 years ago and XYPN didn't exist and the technology wasn't the same. And it just was, I mean, it was pretty hard, but I feel like with some of the organizations and structures that we have in place today, like it's a great time to start a firm. There's so many things and now there's even more organizations like there's now Onyx Advisors that just launched to support advisors of color. But really like all these communities that just share their their knowledge, they help you get registered, they do all these aspects that I think like not everybody's a great business owner, right? Because there's so many different things that you have to think about. So whether it's compliance or registration... But there's, again, there's a lot of support out there now for those of us that don't want to spend a lot of time thinking about those things and just want to focus on growing and financial planning and and those more fun aspects of running the business. The lack of financial literacy
0: is an economic and public health crisis because being financially literate is essential to improving America's standard of living and reducing income equality. That's where Financial Fitness Group comes in. They're helping empower people by making learning about finances easy, effective, and fun. FFG is the leading provider of unbiased financial education to banks, credit unions, advisors, government agencies, and employers across the nation. Visit financialfitnessgroup.com today to learn more. Is
1: there
0: one particular challenge in the minds of an advisor who's contemplating whether or not, you know, as you were talking mm-hmm. and as you were interviewing other people and again, getting network support from the NAPFA, from the XYPNs. And, and again, we're seeing an awesome mm-hmm. array of just support services around financial advisory, around the entire profession. What do you think is is preventing or maybe preventing is not the right paralyzing, right? Because I think you could be stuck, right? How do we get women listening right now mm-hmm. Tanika, to be unstuck? What's the number mm-hmm. one thing that either is is the, the big trepidation in their
1: mind that we could help squash right now? I mean, I think it's really confidence. It's just, and and that was one of the things that held me back when I was very, at the very beginning of my entrance into this industry and I'm a career changer. So I didn't get into financial planning until my mid thirties. And as I was sort of entering and again, looking for my first role in the industry and interviewing and trying to figure out where, where did I fit into all these different possible ways of, of practicing financial planning. And I thought at that point, Oh, well, maybe I should just launch my own business. And I was like, I don't know anything. I mean, I'd been through the CFP coursework. I'd passed the exam, but I was like, I I don't have the confidence to go out and launch my own firm. And yet, I mean, I know dozens of people that launched a financial planning firm without ever having worked for one. They just said, this is what I want to do. They just started from scratch, but they didn't have that history or that background. I did not have that confidence. So it was only after working in the industry for six or seven years that I decided to launch my own firm, but I just didn't feel like I knew enough. And I think that's one of, again, one of the beauties of some of these communities is that there is so much support out there now where like, I mean, I still run into situations all the time that I've never seen before. And so being able to reach out to my colleagues and people in my study groups and say, I've never run across this. Have you seen this before? And to get that kind of support has really, I think that's such a a huge benefit to being involved in these communities and engaged. But it's, I do think it's mostly about confidence and just feeling like, do you know enough to feel comfortable saying, yeah, I'm an expert in my field. So I, I think that's the biggest the biggest gap for most people. And plugging into as many of these communities and getting that kind of support is is a huge bridge to be able to say, well, I don't know everything, but I know enough and if I don't know, I'll go ask my my good friends.
0: Yeah, I think you can even ask complete strangers right now, like on Fintwit, you can just put, hey, wanted to Mm -hmm. recommendation for this. And there will Mm -hmm. be people that will answer. You can connect with people on LinkedIn and you can send them an email, a a question. Mm I think people are, are really genuinely wanting to help other people. I wanted to talk a little bit about, so obviously I'm familiar with your background and and doing all Mm -hmm. of the research, and I know we have a bunch of our listeners that would want to learn a little bit more about you being a a career changer. But before we answer that question, Mm -hmm. can you talk about how did you come up with the name of your firm and (laughs) just explain what a financial planning firm
1: does? Let's see. So the name is the easy, the easy question to answer. So I'll do that one first. So we, in our family, we have my husband and I, we have two, two daughters. And at the very beginning of the pandemic, before I launched my firm, we got a puppy who might cross behind us on the video here while we're talking. So she's almost two now. Her name is Zena. She's adorable and sometimes very mischievous, but she just, she came into our lives in April of 2020. And it was a month later that I was launching my firm and I was trying to come up with a name and I just, I'm not very good. I'm not very creative in that sort of way. And I was like, I don't know what to call my firm. And most of the good firm names are taken. And I didn't want to name it after myself. And my husband suggested it. He said, what about Xena? And I was like, ah, I love it. I mean, I love the imagery for those of us that, that were around when the show was on 20 years ago, the Xena warrior princess show of just this, like, I'm doing it myself kind of And I I never watched the show. So I actually don't know that much about, about the actual character, but just that image of like this very powerful, independent woman. And I thought, oh, that is, that is exactly the way that I want to present to the world. So the name started with the puppy, but was just a really natural evolution, I guess, uh, as I was launching. The other question you asked, I think, if I'm remembering, if I'm, I'm going to rephrase it was kind of what, what do I do for my clients? Is that, is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah, I want you to explain the firm because so many
0: financial Mm -hmm. planning firms and organizations, if you're not working in the industry, you might not know how to vet them. You might Mm -hmm. not realize that some charge differently than others. So I would love for our audience to learn about, yeah, you've created this awesome firm. Mm-hmm. You, you absolutely, you have a specialization and a core competency with working with women and clients mm-hmm. in, in technology. And by the way, you have a great URL. So part of the, the husband gets credit <laughs> here, uh, Danica, because it's Xena, X-E-N-A-F-P.com. Mm-hmm. The fact that mm-hmm. that shortened URL, anytime mm-hmm. that happens that I'm like, wow, that URL was available. <laughs> that is a sign from the universe, sign you up for that. So yeah, tell everybody a little bit about, the firm and then let's transition it also to you made a life changing career decision
1: so i think one of the things that as i was entering the industry again and i was looking at the the firms that i could see just in my local area they tended to be very focused on retirees they tended to be very focused on investments right so most of the time when you talk to a financial planning firm they're going to ask about your accounts and where they are and when are you planning on retiring or if you're already retired how much money do you need every year to live on? And, and things like that. And, and there was a part of me that thought, gosh, you know, I'm not sure that's what I really want to focus on. Um, I mean, that is the finances or the, the investments in particular is definitely an important foundation, right? But it's not the most important thing by in my opinion. So in the way that I work with clients, I really want my clients to have actually the same experience that I had of this sort of freedom of what I'm doing with my professional life and just the ability to do exactly what I want to do. So I want my clients to have that in whatever way their finances need to support that, then they can just basically live their their absolute best life. So I, I do want to say though, I don't think it's always about careers for people. So in my case, living out this, version of what I think I was put on this planet to do is very much about running my own firm, working with women, helping them reach their own goals. But I think for some people that could be, they might find that same level of passion and engagement with volunteer work or with their family life. So I don't think it's always career oriented. That's just my experience. But I think what I'm trying to achieve with my clients is that they find whatever that is that lights them up. And then we make sure that they're their money and their investments are working in service of that goal. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, no, that's that's really, that's, that's especially important I think for women to make sure that their financial and their life decisions are in service to what they believe in. I didn't always see such a huge correlation with that Danica, right? I came into Mm -hmm. the industry also too, as a second career person Mm -hmm. and first started consulting in 2006, one of my first jobs in the industry was working as an assistant at Northwestern Mutual Life Financial Network, Mm -hmm. which was a great company. It was a great start. Insurance is is something Mm -hmm. that is needed. And I was lucky enough that I worked with some really great, great people. However, the decisions around investments are so much different than how I remembered them to be 11 mm-hmm. years ago when I made a full <laughs> pledge commitment to, to being in wealth management. Have you seen that too? Have you seen those discussions play out with women? And, and you're virtual as well too, right? Your whole model. Mm-hmm. So you can deal with people at different in different parts of the country in the mm-hmm. U.S.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. And I actually, one of the the conversations I like to have with clients, actually with prospects before they ever sign up is I actually like to just talk to them about the industry. And I like to give them this sort of overview of there's different fee structures, as you mentioned, there's different focuses, there's just all different ways of practicing this type of relationship. And so I like to just frame that for clients because coming in as a new person, I mean, we're so used to it. We don't even think about some of these terms and things like fee only, you know, or fiduciary, we just throw those things around. Like everybody knows what they mean. And for the average person kind of coming in, like our industry is super overwhelming. It's very confusing. It's not easy to to navigate. So I love to just kind of walk through people through like just a, a high level overview of like what, what this landscape even looks like. And people are usually so grateful when I spend I think it takes me five minutes to do this kind of like walkthrough. And they kind of go, oh, I get that. And then I say like, these are some things I think you should think about as you're interviewing people. This is how I differentiate myself within that landscape. And I might not be the person for you. I mean, I say that to people all the time. Like, I want you to talk to a bunch of people because I want you to feel so excited about working with me that you're convinced. And if you're just sort of lukewarm, keep looking like this is an important relationship. So I don't want people to, I'm not salesy at all, but I want people to have their eyes open about what the whole industry looks like. And then really be so sold on working with me that they're just ready to sign on the line. I'm like, if you are not 100% convinced, keep looking. And one of the things that comes up, I think oftentimes, and again, you sort of mentioned this, but in these introductory meetings is people will say at the end of it, like, well, you didn't even ask me how much money I have or where my accounts are. And I think they're used to that. You know, you go to interview an advisor and they might say, well, how much do you have in your 401k and how much is your house worth and how much debt do you have and how much income do you have? And I mean, I care about those things but I don't need to know that in the first 20 minutes of meeting somebody. So I will oftentimes get them saying like, well, you didn't even talk about investments. You didn't ask me how much money I have. And I'll say, yeah, I mean, we'll get to that, but I care much more about, do we have a rapport? Would we work well together? Those things, I don't need to know how much money you have to determine whether or not this is going to be a good working relationship. So I think a lot of people, when they meet with me are just like, it's just so different from meeting with our traditional advisor who's going to ask them sort of like all these data gathering questions and things like that. I'm like, we'll get there. That's important, but I don't need that for the first, the first interaction.
0: Hey listeners, if you're looking for actionable advice and motivation to get you through your day, follow in the sweet on Instagram. This week we shared 24 things you could do today to improve your career. I encourage you to check out that post. It's awesome. It's lots of information there that I think that you'll find useful. So you can find it again on Instagram at in the sweet pod. That's all one word, in the sweet pod, and we'll see you over there on Instagram. How do you explain, going back to your earlier point about explaining the lay of the land for, for people, mm. I think that this is an important consideration for both Good. women and men listening to this podcast. Yeah. Everything is more expensive. I, I think yeah. that families, couples, individuals who choose to remain um. single, mm-hmm. I think it's it's we, the challenge is, is ahead of us about mm-hmm. making good financial t- decisions to set us up for retirement or or the day that we decide to do something different.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, the way that I explain it, it, I heard a great interview with it was Michael Kitsis, but he was not the interviewer. He was on someone else's podcast and they I think it was Patrick O'Shaughnessy. I can send you the link if you want to put yeah, it in the show yeah. notes. Yeah, we'll, we'll put it's a, a g- link in the show notes. It was a great interview because Michael Kitsis basically gave this like history of the industry in mm-hmm. this podcast. And I, I mean, I do a very condensed version, of course, when I talk to clients, but he really talked about how the CFP designation came to be and how comprehensive planning just became an industry. I mean, it's a pretty new industry, right? Whereas insurance and investing, all those things have been around for much longer, but the actual like holistic financial planning profession is pretty young. And so he really talked about that evolution. And it was just, I mean, the first time I heard it, I was blown away. I was like, oh, and I'm in the industry, right? I was like, oh, that makes so much sense. So I love to give that kind of, again, five minute history of how our profession sort of evolved and got to be where it is today. And then some of these different tracks like, yes, you can work with somebody at Northwestern Mutual, you can work with somebody at Merrill Lynch, but they might be selling an insurance product, they might be selling an investment product. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Those things are necessary, right? But just understanding those different models and how they, you know, working with somebody in a Northwestern mutual type of role versus a Merrill Lynch versus me, like how are those different? And really explaining that to the client.
0: And and one of those explanations, and again, you have the designation on your website, you're a member of NAPFA National <laughs> Association of Personal Financial Advisors. And there's mm-hmm. a very strict set of criteria. So explain how
1: the difference is how you charge versus how other people might charge. Mm -hmm. Well, I am fee only. So I, I mentioned that again, we talk about terms like this all the time, but for most consumers, they don't really know what that means. But how I explain it is I don't get any commissions. I don't get compensated from any other person or institution other than directly from my clients. So if you're not paying me, I don't I don't get anything. No referral bonuses, you know, all those sorts of things. Again, and I I I'm very clear about this. There's nothing wrong with those things. When you buy life insurance, that person is going to get a commission. That's how they're paid. That's not that's not a bad thing. It's just so that the person really understands how they're compensating. Again, with investments, I mean, I've talked to people before who have someone managing their accounts, and they say, "Oh, we never pay them anything." And it's like, well, either they're taking a percentage or they're putting you in a particular fund where they get a 12B1 fee or something. There's some kind of compensation, but the client isn't paying, so they don't know what it is. So I just talk about fee only as it's very clear and transparent what you're paying me. Those other models aren't good or bad. It's just having the understanding of how to think about it.
0: And I want our listeners to also to understand that what a fee only planner does is mm-hmm. that you are paying them to help you make the financial decision. Regardless of what my investment composition might look like, I might be an XYZ fund, whatever that investment mix, which changes Mm -hmm. over time, which should change Mm -hmm. over time, Mm -hmm. especially if you're working with a new financial advisor who's going Mm -hmm. to look at your whole life situation and draw up like a a risk measurement on your portfolio. It doesn't matter, Danica, what investments I have, how they're allocated. I'm paying you Mm -hmm. to help me make good financial and life decisions, agnostic of my choice of investments.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess that's another component of it. You know, when I have these conversations with prospective clients or existing clients is I will help you determine what makes sense for your portfolio and all of that. But I don't care if your accounts are at Schwab or Vanguard. I don't care if you like a particular fund family or if you want to have individual stocks, that's fine. I don't recommend individual stocks. But I mean, there are a lot of different ways that the investments can look, I guess. And I'm not attached to, you know, you have to be in this American funds mutual fund because I'm going to get, again, I'm not going to get compensated depending on which type of fund that you end up in or which type of stock.
0: Yeah, I think that should be the number one, and correct me if I'm wrong, you're a certified financial planner, I'm not, but I think that's the number one question. Any woman or man Mm -hmm. that is considering working with an advisor for the first time or Mm -hmm. even making a change of advisors, how Mm -hmm. do you get (laughs) compensated? Exactly. Right? The number one question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If there's anything that you take away from this discussion, and it's a discussion mm-hmm. on financial empowerment, right? I love your, your tag, financial empowerment for all women. Mm-hmm. That's at the end of the day, that's what yeah. this is all about. It's a conversation about financial empowerment and understanding mm-hmm. how financial professionals are being paid, any type of professional <laughs> for yeah. that matter. You've seen life... Danica through a myriad of roles, right? You didn't start mm-hmm. out being a financial advisor, financial planner, but you are a financial professional. Can you kind of go back mm-hmm. into a little bit of your backstory?
1: Yeah. I, you know, I went to to undergrad. I have a degree in math and I graduated from college and I had no idea how I wanted to use that. I tried teaching actually in Philadelphia. I tried I tried a few things, ended up just doing accounting stuff because that came really naturally to me, even though I never took an accounting class in my life. But that's basically what I ended up doing for 15 years or so. It did come naturally to me, sort of that accounting and finance type of role. I just it it was it was easy. But what I found was after 10 plus years in that industry it was, there wasn't a lot of interaction with people. It was just sort of me and spreadsheets and it felt very transactional, I guess. And I mean, I just really like, I like engaging with people and I wanted to find something that, that really allowed me to sort of take multiple skills that I have. Like I was using one set of skills without using the skills that I have that allow me to work well with people and help them, you know, coach them and move them forward. All those things, like I just wasn't using that part of my skill set. Um, And so, you know, I ended up deciding financial planning was, was sort of the perfect marriage of those different skills that I had, but it took me a while to decide that that was the right direction and then figure out how I was going to do it. I decided to take all of the certified financial planner coursework and pass the exam while I was still in my prior career. So I didn't just enter the industry right off the bat. I said, I'm going to do all this studying. I'm going to learn as much as I can pass the exam. I thought I would be a little bit easier to hire if I had that under my belt already. So I did all that first. And then I said, okay, now I'm gonna look for a job. But it was it was a long process. So that whole process of studying and taking the exam, that probably took 18 months, maybe a little bit more than that. And then before that, there was a couple of years where I was just thinking about it. And I was like, gosh, is this the right transition? And how should I do it? And I think I had it a newborn right around that time. And so just really trying to figure out what the steps were. It's not the easiest industry to get into. There's so many different ways to enter, which in many ways is awesome. It's really cool that you can have all these different prior careers and education backgrounds and, and still have a successful path in financial advising. But it's not a it's not a one size fits all. Like there wasn't one way. I couldn't just say, oh, you know, I just need to follow steps A, B, and C, and then I'll become a financial advisor. So it was a little confusing to me to figure out how to actually go through that process. I'm hoping that people listening right now hear your story,
0: hear you recognize that you wanted to take both the the sides of your brain that you were great at, the mm-hmm. relationship side, the math side, mm-hmm. solving problems. Mm-hmm. I love it how I read about your your husband working at Amazon, and that was also too, you know, mm-hmm. uh, looking at the retirement benefits and all of these things that we take casually in life can be the biggest light bulb yeah. moment for us to to choose a new path.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Tina. It's such a rewarding industry. And there's so many different ways to be involved. You don't have to even be a financial planner. You can work on operations and you can do marketing. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of different Ways that it can play out. But I agree, it's just a helping profession. So it's really, and that's we, we talked about sort of the community on FinTwit and, and in other places, but everybody really wants to help other people. That's, that's why we're here. So that's something that I just really love about the work that we're doing is I think everybody has this very community minded, we're all in this together sort of mindset because we're all, we're all here to help, whether that's our clients or help each other or whatever. So I just love being a part of that that movement. Another reason why I wanted
0: to bring you here in the suite is that you've been in the financial services industry for for quite some time, but making the intentional decision to start your own firm, to Mm go for the CFP, pass the CFP, congratulations, by the way. And be well, at the same time, your mother, at the same time, you've got two beautiful girls and a husband mm-hmm. and and here's the thing, you create this brand and I am known to talk a little bit about social media here and there, mm-hmm. Danika. And I think that advisors like you, I wanna just shout out and say, ha- thank you. High five, thank you for making the insights from this conversation accessible on social media you are on instagram you're on Mm -hmm. facebook twitter linkedin i see you on podcasts everywhere how have you managed to be so bold on social media where Mm. some advisors are still holding themselves back from what we're trying to get them to do this. So, you know, how did you approach it and and just buy into it right from the, right from the beginning?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Some of that I think is just my personality. I'm just, I'm not shy. I'm not timid about just sort of putting myself out there. So I've always been pretty vocal about just what's important to me. Even as a kid, I, I was not afraid to do something a little bit untraditional. I mean, I've loved getting involved and in putting myself out there in a way that I actually didn't really expect. So as you said, I've been on a lot of podcasts, I've been in a couple of magazines, and it's taken off in a way that I didn't expect. But I think part of it is because I just love what I'm doing so much. I love talking about it. It's been really exciting to sort of just share the message. And again, it wasn't really something that I expected, but my message is resonating in a way that is so, it's so inspiring to me. <laughs> it's like, wow, People are really, they're getting something out of this. Like I feel almost obligated to kind of just continue to get the message out there. So it's just, it's almost like it it feeds on itself. But yeah, being engaged with social media has been really, really rewarding. And mostly Twitter. I do spend some time on those other platforms. I am spending a lot more time on Instagram. So I've been doing some Instagram live events, mostly for clients and prospective clients. So they're focused on a financial planning topic. I haven't launched my own podcast, but I, I would consider that actually at this point, just because I'm having so much fun having these conversations. But yeah, it's been really great to just to engage in that way. So I'm, I'm really loving all of the different platforms that I've sort of participated in.
0: Has any media person contacted you
1: through social media? Yeah. I mean, the one that's, that jumps out at me the most is I was in Morningstar magazine. I have that right
0: in front of me, right in front of me, Danika, creating an inclusive practice. We're going to put to help women. We're going to put a link in the show notes. That's a beautiful, beautiful story.
1: Yeah, it, it was amazing that whole experience, but the, the editor reached out to me Last summer, and said love to feature you, and sort of talked about what that process looked like. And I just said, I mean, I was excited, of course. I said I'd be honored. But I said to him, How do you? How did I come onto your radar? How did you hear about me? And he said, Oh, you know, somebody I saw you post something on Twitter, and I was intrigued. And then I went and kind of checked out your your website and stuff like that. And I don't know what it was that I posted. It could have been anything. It could have been something about my kids. It could have been something about financial planning. I, who knows? But clearly that's something that I posted intrigued him enough to go do some research. And so that was a, the most obvious case, but I've definitely connected with reporters and, and other, other folks on Twitter mostly, but sometimes on LinkedIn.
0: Yeah, So this is exactly what we've been trying. We've been screaming from the rooftops about it. I'm just so glad that I'm going to play this. I'm going to record this while this is being recorded and I'm going to just play this soundbite everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really great to see. And I love how you also, too, you make yourself as a financial advisor very relatable. I want to talk about financial literacy. You have two daughters mm-hmm. and we as parents are trying our best to make sure that our children understand the concepts, the foundational concepts of money, right? Matt Gardner wrote yeah. a book, Three Money Bears, and we're starting to really dabble in it and pay attention. What's your best advice? I, I love it. Looking at it from like, oh, wow, you're a financial advisor, you're a certified
1: financial planner. I am such a huge fan of people talking about money, like just talking about it, like it's normal, right? It's just, I mean, when I grew up, it was like, nobody knew how much their parents made that was just you would never ask that sort of question or like how much things cost like it just was a sort of taboo topic and i just think that's we're doing such a disservice to our kids by not communicating with them about money at at any age right so and that doesn't necessarily mean you tell them how, how much you make or look at they look at your tax returns or anything but just having those conversations on an everyday basis about well i don't know if we can afford that trip right now because we had to replace our furnace so that sort of ate up our, our travel fund. Like just saying those sorts of things around kids, they might go, oh, wow. Like you can't do everything, right? You have to make some choices sometimes. So with my girls, I think a lot of it is just around having everyday conversations at the dinner table. Again, that's not the only thing we talk about, but money comes up and we just, you yeah, know, we talk about it like it's no big deal. They both have debit cards. So, that's been really fun. actually, we just got one for my twelve year old very recently because she was running into the situation of like going out in the world and she would have cash and she would go places and they don't take cash. so we have debit cards for both of them and and there's lots of conversations about, okay, you got your Christmas money? Where is that gonna go? How are we gonna structure it? How much do you want to save? So they're very intimately aware of just sort of their spending, seeing that debit card balance come down, watching that, figuring out like I want to make some money can I you know can I wash your car mom and like make 20 bucks or something. And it's like, sure, yeah, let's do that. Or they might want to babysit or something like that. So just being really open and transparent. I was talking with some clients this week, the same thing about estate planning. I just want that to be a conversation that's not taboo, right? I want people to feel comfortable talking with their family members about who do you have named in your will as an executor? Just, Just having these conversations like it's not a big deal. And then one of the things I'm especially passionate about is negotiating job offers and things like that, especially for women, because it's so hard for so many women to ask for more money. And so with friends, I do this with friends all the time. I say like, you're you're interviewing for jobs. Let, give me a call when you get that offer. Let's role play. I want to help you. You can get more money. <laughs> and really, and, and again, it's just not something that we're comfortable asking for more, talking about how much we make, all those things. Like, I just want that to be something that people don't feel scared of talking about.
0: Yeah. Going into those salary negotiations, we've obviously seen a lot of women leave their jobs. Mm -hmm. In some cases, it's like women have had to make a very difficult decision and now money no longer trumps your decision. So you could be making an incredible amount of money and women are at least this is my own bias experience talking mm-hmm. to women talking to friends talking to people and mm-hmm. what i'm what i'm seeing and what i'm reading is that the the whole experience of me as a as a career person is much more than my salary but yet the salary is such an important part it is the basis for also to our compensation and feeling like we're being treated mm-hmm. equitably and fairly mm-hmm. and I am curious. I'm deeply Mm -hmm. curious of maybe like one or two things that the women listening right now Mm -hmm. as a first step to having that, that discussion.
1: Yeah.
0: How do you start to bridge and make that leap into Mm -hmm. you you really asking for what you could be getting?
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of ideas that I have about that. I actually have a blog post about negotiating that has a lot of tips and suggestions. But I think one of the things is, and you mentioned sort of salary being one of the main components, and it is, you can definitely negotiate on salary, but there's a lot of other things that you can negotiate on. So for instance, I've negotiated time off before where I've said, okay, you're offering two weeks of paid vacation a year, I, I would like three, you know, is, is that a possibility? So it's not always about the money. It could be about flexible schedules, right? That's a big thing right now, especially for those of us that have children at home and are trying to juggle a lot of different things. It's so nice to be able to say, leave work at three to go do something with a kid and then work for an hour later on or something. So I think there are a lot of things that you can negotiate on that aren't just about money. So that's one piece. Like if there's something that's really important to you, and in my case, like I said, time off and flexibility, were we're always high on the list. But I also think when a company comes to you with an offer, they expect you to negotiate, right? And they 99 times out of a hundred, they are not giving you the highest amount that they have available. So there's usually a range, right? So there might be like a range of, let's just say 70 to $80,000 that they could offer for this role. And they really like you. So they come in at 74,000. Of course, you don't necessarily know that range, right? But there's always, almost always, there's they have given themselves some room because they're assuming that you're going to come back and negotiate. So I have sometimes just said, can you tell me what the range is? And sometimes they do tell, I mean, they, so they can, of course, opt not to tell you, but sometimes they'll say, yeah, we have 80 is the absolute maximum we could do. And so that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to ask for 80, but now I have a lot of information, right? Now I can say, oh, okay, well, they have $6,000 of wiggle room. Right. So I think just knowing, just even knowing that the company expects you to negotiate gives you so much power and going into that because it's like, oh, I'm so scared. It's like, no, they're assuming you're going to do that. Right. So that would be some, a couple of my most obvious tips and then there's so many very specific kind of tactical things about you can talk to recruiters and you can talk to other people that are doing similar roles just to get a better understanding of what a reasonable compensation level is for that role things like that
0: danika that's so huge i have to tell you like that is just mind blown (laughs) mind blown right there (laughs) they expect you to negotiate and then right now also i'm looking at the link to the blog i want to what's the best way for people to get
1: in touch with you by the way I mean, my website is a great place to start. So you already called out the URL, zinafp.com. I do have a lot of content on there. You can message me directly on the website. I'm very active on Twitter. We talked about that. Danika W. on Twitter. And then I have Zina Financial Planning as the Instagram. So there's some content there and you can post or message me on any of those platforms.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. And and look at the blog here. Negotiating job offers. We're gonna put a link to that specific blog in the show notes. But there's lots of other things that you talk about incentive, stock options. Mm-hmm. You also to talk about handling cash flow, life planning, financial planning. How do I participate in my company's stock purchase plan? So a lot mm-hmm. of great information here that you're giving away complimentary mm-hmm. and certainly know what content creation looks like, feels like, and 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 sounds like. So we'll make sure to have a link. And I would say one of the great things that I get to do is I get to research other women here and men in the suite. Mm-hmm. And I love visiting Instagram and seeing like little snippets of video and getting to hear a conversation. And again, even if I pick up one or, or two tips, then I feel in mm-hmm. some ways that you've done something good for me and that all of this information is cumulative. There's not one Person, there's not one resource, but if people listening right now, if you say, okay, 2022, I'm going to maybe their words empowerment, right? We hope so. Yeah. yeah. So we'll make sure the, the other question that we have too for season three, and I'm really proud, ultra, ultra proud of, of this one. We're asking our guests to introduce us to a charity, a nonprofit, a GoFundMe, a cause that you, believe in Danica because our experience working in a professional that's been badly battered in, in media is that actually, no, there are really great women and men who work in the profession, who are extremely mm-hmm. charitable and giving with their time and their resources and who align themselves to specific values. And I wondered what that looked like for you. Mm,
1: yeah. I love that you're asking this question in season three. I think it's so beautiful. So for us, my family is really connected with our local food bank. We donate every single month. That's just, you know, one of those ongoing monthly donations. They have a a Thanksgiving turkey trot. We always run the turkey trot. But I just recently started actually volunteering there. So I was actually there on Monday. And they're just such we have such a tremendous homeless problem in Seattle. And they're really a fantastic organization. I mean, you can bring, they have vets that come and treat people's animals and also hygiene and food. Like there's so many different services that they're offering. So we're really, really engaged in that local organization. And then from more of a national level, I'm very passionate about anything that supports LGBTQ rights, civil rights. But one of the organizations that I love to call out is the Association for African-American Advisors it's also known as Quad A, that's really trying to increase representation in our industry from the Black community. And so actually someone on Twitter recommended this to me recently. There's a thing on Amazon.com, if you use Amazon, where you can set up a donation. So it's called Smile. I think it's smile.amazon.com. And you can set like a small percentage of every single purchase goes to this charity. So I set my charity up to be this Quad A Association for African-American advisors. So a little bit of every single purchase I make goes directly to that organization. So if you don't know about that and you shop on Amazon, it doesn't have to be quade. But I think it's really cool that you can set up a charity donation from your Amazon profile.
0: Wow, Danica Waddell, mind blown here. (laughs) Fantastic. Okay, fantastic. This is really, really great stuff. I enjoyed this conversation, especially the final answer. I think one of the things that we could do too is I'm sure that we could even search for a YouTube video or instructions on I've seen the the Amazon smile and it's it's Mm -hmm. relatively easy. But for anyone that's like, hey, I think I saw it, I'm not sure, Mm -hmm. and how to do it, we'll each will we'll find that and of course Quad A and all the things that you believe in this really goes back to you know a testament to your service thank you very much for not only your time here but your bold decision your bold decision to go with your heart, go with your gut and to serve the needs of especially women right now. A bunch of us find ourselves in either divorce or widowed. My mother's been a widow for 15 years too. And you need somebody to, to help you navigate and make some great decisions. So I can't thank you enough for being here and taking time away from the practice and the family. Please tell your girls how much
1: Tina appreciates it today. <laughs> I'll pass it on, Tina. And I just want to echo your gratitude. I'm so appreciative of the work that you're doing because as you say, there's so much need and you really taking time to spotlight people that are doing cool work and women that are doing amazing stuff in our industry. It's just so needed. So thank you. I'm, I'm just really honored to be here. Thank you, Tanika. Happy
0: healthy. You're listening to In The Suite, a podcast that shares amazing stories of women in business in the financial services and the wealth management industry. Our producers are Tina Powell and Kevin Hershorn. Our editor-at-large is Kevin Hershorn. Our content writers are Dimple Rashandani, Daniel Wheeler, Olivia Gonzalez, and Tina Powell. In The Suite podcast is sponsored by C-Suite Social Media, a high-growth digital marketing and social media agency for the financial services and the wealth management industry. You can visit c-suitesocialmedia.com to learn more. And thank you so much for listening and subscribing and giving us five-star reviews. We are so, so grateful to you. We've got listeners in 1,142 cities, 57 countries at the time of this broadcast. We owe it all to you. So thank you so, so much. Please let us know how you enjoyed this episode with Danica Waddell share your thoughts on social media, hashtag in the suite. You can find Danika on all social media platforms on LinkedIn and Twitter at Danika. That is D-A-N-I-K-A-W. And visit her website, XenaFP.com. That's dot pcom And always, if you would like to share the name of a special, amazing person we should interview in the suite, please send it to me at tina at csuitesocialmedia.com and I will consider it. Thank you again so much for listening and subscribing to In the Suite.